0: I urge all Blazer fans, no matter when you became a fan, whether it was in 1970 at the team's inception or you became a fan after Damian Lillard hit that shot against the Rockets, go back and watch the 77 team, especially this series against the Sixers.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash holybackboard. Over 180,000 titles to choose from. On your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's real the time, baby! Rip city is jumping now. Okay, Randall, up the middle. Hey! Oh! Oh! Right. Come on,
0: everybody! And- All right, everybody, welcome to the 46th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in way too toasty rip city and i got my man
1: sage chilling man i did a lot of housework the last since we've been on so i actually installed like an ac unit into my house changed the toilet seat so i'm actually sort of in air conditioned comfort i mean the ac isn't blowing directly on me but it's it's blowing in the actual room so i mean i'm actually not fat and sweaty I am fat, but just not
0: sweaty this, this episode. Hashtag humblebrag, Jesus.
1: <laughs> hey, man, I'm proud of myself.
0: Yeah, you should be. You should be. And I'm hoping uh, it's going to get way too hot this weekend. It's probably going to be up in maybe the hundreds, triple digits. Your boy doesn't, doesn't mess with this type of weather. Let's keep it 72 and sunny for the summer, and I'm good. I'm ready, honestly, for some football weather. Because football weather means it's close to basketball season. And sage. Huge news, this past week, just dropped, the schedule released, and it is like a mini Christmas in August. I know I shouldn't be as excited as I am for a schedule release, especially in basketball when there's 82 games. I know in the NFL, you play certain teams here and there. Basketball, you play every team at least twice, but I'm a half-season ticket holder.
1: You're moving on up,
0: bro. I'm moving on up. of these home games so i'm looking you know looking at my schedule that i'm gonna get and uh you know i'm really excited about the schedule um it's gonna be a good ass year
1: the first thing literally the first thing i did was look how many pelican games oh shit i am not gonna be popular in november oh i'm not gonna be popular the last game of the year it was rough for the boy like that being schedule breakers are hating the haters on me in particular I'm going to be the most hated man in November, and let's just say New Orleans actually plays well this year, and the seeding. I'm going to be so, I'm going to be hated on, so NBA schedule makers didn't do me any favors.
0: Yeah, the Pelicans come to Portland on Black Friday. It could be a Black Friday for the Pelicans. They have not fared well in, in the Rose City for quite some time, and then the last game of the season. The Blazers probably have the second or third seed wrapped up, so I think we'll, we'll give you guys that, that dub on the last game of the season. It'll be our, you know, our late Christmas present.
1: Hey, you've been perfectly adequate this season here. Have a, have a free game. That That's what I call the Pelicans offseason, perfectly adequate.
0: So I know there's certain things that I do when the schedule gets released. When you saw the Blazers schedule was released, what are like some of the things that are A either going through your mind or B that you immediately have to look and see what's happening?
1: Well, uh, I mean one of the things was my mom wants to see the Celtics play. So I was like, alright, so after I checked to see the the Pelican slaughter, I, I checked to see when the Celtics are gonna play in Portland, so we could go to that. But like then I was just like seeing when the nationally televised games or when I'm gonna have to Stream them like that type of stuff. So really, it was national TV games, games that I actually wanted to drive up to Portland to see. And Pelicans.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. When I when the schedule first comes out for me, the first thing I always see, especially since um, the conferences got a little realigned, now there's 15 teams per you now play four Western Conference teams just three times. And I always look to see which Western Conference teams we don't have to play that full four-game schedule and who are the home ones and who are the away. So for Portland, they d- didn't get, like, the bottom of the barrel, which is good. Like, you always want to see teams like the Lakers and the Suns and the Nuggets. I'd love- Nuggets are guaranteed because they're in a division. But, you know, you catch my drift. You yeah. want to see those bottom feeders four times. You want to guarantee yourself four great chances of victory. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we have to play the Warriors and the Spurs and the Thunder. I know the division four times. So the Blazers, they get the Rockets and the Kings three times. Two of those are in the Rose Garden. Unfortunately, we play the Grizzlies and the Clippers only three times, twice. Either in FedEx Arena or in Staples Center, I say unfortunately, it's because I think those are teams that Portland's going to be fighting for a position with. You need and
1: those wins just for like seeding.
0: You need those chances, especially at home. So and you're giving it, you you'd be giving yourself an extra chance at home to mm-hmm. try to knock the 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 Memphis Grizzlies or the LA Clippers off a ring. Instead, especially to win that 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 tiebreaker, right. you're going to have to not only win your home game, you're going to have to go to their gym and take one there. Hopefully Portland just wins the division, and that trumps all tiebreakers.
1: I mean, I could see us going into both of those uh, both of those arenas and getting a game. I, it's not out of the realm of possibility in my mind. I mean, we'd match up well with the Clippers, and I don't know. The Grizzlies have a lot of uncertainty. I mean, Chandler Parsons could break down by the time we play them, So I, I'm not really worried about that. I, I, we just have to handle our biz. And
0: so once I figure out who are those teams that we, we miss, um, not miss, those teams that we get three times instead of four, <clears throat> opening night, I sent out a tweet from the Holy Backboard account, and I was like, I, I would love to see us play the Jazz. Well, I guess I should have bought a lottery ticket because that's exactly who you open up against. And I am beyond excited. The Jazz are getting way too much hype. CBS did some bullshit power rankings of the best bench and the best starting five. They were the best bench, and they were like a top five starting five unit. I'm like, quit treating this team like the 96 Bulls. Their hype is getting out of control, just like the Washington Huskies college football team. It's unwarranted. Shots are being
1: fired, man.
0: It's unwarranted, and uh, it's just baffling. The, The Utah Jazz, where Gordon Hayward is your best player. Like, I get the fact that they play good defense. Yes, you're bringing in George Hill. Sorry to burst your bubble jazz fans or jazz homers or wh- whoever you think the jazz are going to do well. George Hill is not that good of a point guard. He is the epitome of an average NBA point guard. Perfectly it, it, adequate. It doesn't get any more average than George Hill. And I know they did well once they acquired Shelvin Mack at the deadline and they played better. Because who wouldn't play better with – who did they have? Um, they Neto. Brown Berth- Neto. Neto, yeah. Neto. So things, of course, would get better without, without Neto playing. But you you have to score points and you have to have a go-to score, preferably multiple go-to scores over the stretch of 82 games to really make a lot of noise. I think the Jazz are going to make the playoffs. I haven't pegged, but I've seen them like third or fourth. I personally don't see it. I would love Portland to keep their opening night win streak. I believe it's at 14. It could go to 15 if they handle the Jazz, and that would just be a great tone setter. I know it's going to give you a sour taste in your mouth, but I thought the CJ big opening night against your Pelicans was a huge tone setter for this team and the fans because and everyone every, yeah, everyone, thought 26 wins. That game was not a 26-win season. You could tell those boys had some talent. Um, it took a while for it to come to fruition, but it did. And I think opening night is always special to me. I I, I think I've been to every opening night since 06. 06 the Brandon and Ole Marcus' rookie year. I've made it so that's kind of like my tradition. Um, Are you really do excited? It this year? Yep, I'm gonna buy. That didn't come in my package, but I, I'm gonna buy those tickets anyway. So I was bringing my parents up. That's you know one of the two games they usually come up come up from. Um, so it's always a special night, and I, I know.
1: I think I think that game's gonna be really based on pay, uh, the pace of the game. If we can run it, it's a fucking it's a Blazers victory. But if they slow it down and make it ugly, things can happen. But I I, I don't see. It that
0: yeah Utah just always has like just like we have troubles in Utah when they're good they they don't fuck with us either in Portland like yeah. we hold that advantage it was really a home dominated series ever since i became a fan in the very early 90s um so outside of opening night there were rumors i saw on twitter that portland was going to get the thunder or the spurs on a christmas day oh, game i saw lakers yeah i mean the, the schedule leaks who knows who actually creates them but unfortunately there is no Blazers Christmas Day game. I am thankful that the employees don't have to work. Like you know, Big John, who was on our, our podcast earlier in the season. You know, the ushers, uh, the people in the concessions. They they don't deserve to work. and you know, like they they shouldn't have to work on Christmas. It's really like we want to see the players play, but um, no need to worry about that this year. Overall, I'm pretty underwhelmed about those Christmas Day games. Sage,
1: I think it's nice that the T Wolves are in it. But really, it's just, like, meh to me. Um, I'm happy that the Blazers are on MLK Day. I think that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, it feels like we're on MLK all the time. But if we look at these Christmas games, obviously you've got the Warriors and Cavs. Cleveland gets the game at home because they're the reigning champs. That's going to be amazing. No one's going to miss that. Um, Bulls, Spurs. Who's even going to play in that game? I mean, yeah, the rosters look nice now, but come... Come December 25th, who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, Uh, Rondo could have walked out on his team by then.
0: Celtics-Knicks, I agree. The Celtics deserve to be playing on opening night, or or on Christmas Day. New York's always going to get a Christmas Day game. That's actually a decent battle if Derrick Rose is healthy.
1: Uh, Humongous if, bro.
0: (laughs) Timberwolves. Thunder, it, it just doesn't do it for me without Katie there. Ru- that everyone's gonna say Russ is gonna be must-see TV. He's only gonna be able to keep that up for so many, so many games. Yeah, he might bring it out for Christmas. I do like seeing Carl Anthony, but uh, again, it's just it's a matchup of two teams fighting for the eighth seed. I want to see some heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then God damn, can we go one Christmas day without seeing the Lakers playing the motherfucking Clippers? It's just who's every. Every time, Sage. I understand they play in the same arena, so it's easy logistically, but it's not a good matchup. It really has never been since they both started sharing the St. Center. Those teams have not been on the same path. Either the Lakers are dominant or the Clippers are dominant. They've never been, like, here, like, on equal ground.
1: And there's been so many, I've been seeing so many Lakers rumors. Do we really want to see, like, I don't know, Kenneth Fareed play on the Lakers? Like, I don't know. I get that. LA's the humongous media market, so that's a reason, but it's just like, that's going to be bad basketball. There's no way the Clippers, I mean, the Lakers are going to be a good team.
0: I agree. Um, so, what, no major holidays outside of MLK. We're not on th- Halloween, which we've done quite frequently in the past. The NBA does not plan Thanksgiving. Uh, no Christmas for the Blazers, so they'll be able to celebrate with um, with their, their fans, fans. Their, excuse me, their family. Yes, if you're correct. Um, Portland does get 14 national TV games. I think it's something like the 6th or 7th most. No a- no Sunday ABC games, which I still think is a little bit of a slap in the face. Um, the NBA only really puts a third of the league on that Sunday schedule. So it would have been nice to see Portland get an ABC game. It's been a long time. I believe 2010 against the Lakers was the last Sunday prime game we've got. Fort- Portland has uh, 15 sets of back-to-backs. Ba- back excuse me. Uh, down from 19 last year. So that is a good sign. Even if we had 19, that would have been okay because we have a really deep team. So I think overall, though, the NBA was looking at ways to limit the amount of back-to-backs, the amount of five games in seven nights. So the schedule's maybe a little more prolonged, mm-hmm. but I think it's good for the overall product of the game. You don't want to see a team... Like, if you're paying money, you don't want to see a team coming into your gym on the third third game in four nights. Yeah. Uh, so, so those are really turned down a bit. But let's actually go into a little bit of the meat and potatoes uh, of the schedule Mm -hmm. and one thing that stood out to me was the Blazers didn't have a road trip longer than five games so there's not that seven eight just rodeo Mm -hmm. trip that the Spurs do every year and I I asked Casey Holdall on Twitter and I asked Casey I was like so do you think the players prefer these like shorter road trips or do you think they'd rather get him out of the way in chunks? And he said, really, if you're going to go on a road trip, it just makes sure it's at least three games. Otherwise, it's not really worth the hassle. Mm. Which I think that makes a, a lot of sense. And I've been reading up on, on RIPCity2.com. It's a great Blazer forum. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. They ha- actually brought a lot of facts to their, their schedule threads. That the, once the schedule was released, you know mm-hmm. they broke broke it down. They found a lot of resources and piled them in one place the toughest part of the schedule looks to be in December. So Mm -hmm. Portland plays 15 games in 31 days. Nine of those 15 are on the road and they have a stretch from December 3rd through December 21st where they play 11 games. Eight of those are on the road. That includes a five-game trip against Chicago, Milwaukee, Memphis, Indiana, and the Clippers. Another three-game trip against Denver, the very, very dangerous Golden State Warriors, and then the Kings. Oh, and your home games, they're not going to be walks in the park either. You got the Miami Heat, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Dallas Mavericks. So that's going to be a stretch where the Blazers are really going to have to weather the storm. Nobody's going to expect them to win eight of those 11. If you go six and five, you're, you're riding high because the Blazers have a very, very difficult pre-All-Star break schedule. I believe one source had it as the most difficult pre-All-Star break schedule of any team. However... That
1: means we have you, an easy one.
0: Easy. Exactly. Yeah. If you can just weather that storm, like I said, you have a, they have the easiest post-All-Star break schedule, including mm-hmm. 10 of 12. 10 of 12 in the friendly confines of Rip City. That means if you can do your business on the road, handle those teams... If you're at the third or fourth seed, good luck to everybody behind you because they are not catching you. You're only looking up in the standings trying to catch somebody else. On the other hand, if we're maybe struggling, we're at the fifth, sixth, or seventh, and we need to make a quick move at the end of the race, there's your opportunity because Portland's got 10 of those final 12 at home. Those games, Milwaukee, Winnable, the Knicks, the Knicks haven't won in Portland in ages. The Timberwolves could be scrappy and tough, but again, I would favor Portland. Your road game is at Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, then you've got Denver at home, Houston at home, Phoenix at home. All three winnable games at Utah. That's probably the toughest game we've mentioned so far. Again, you get the Timberwolves at home. Pretty rare that we're seeing them so late in the schedule of their final two home appearances. But then you get the Jazz again at home. The Spurs, who are probably resting their whole entire roster. And then your, your Pelicans. So you're looking at that 12-game stretch. I think... Maybe that game Tuesday, April fourth at Utah is the only one I wouldn't favor Portland in. So if they could win ten of those games, that is just going to be not only huge momentum going into the postseason, but you could be, you could hold your playoff destiny with in your own hands. Be like, I want to play this team or that team, and you can make it happen just by your schedule because there's going to be a lot of teams they're going to be going jockeying for position with. Thankfully, those games will be at home.
1: Can we? Can- I see on NBA Twitter that they think that the Houston Rockets had a good offseason. Can we just dispel that?
0: Wait, wait. You need to unfollow with the quickness. If anybody says the Houston Rockets had a good offseason, that team is going to be hot garb.
1: Bro, I think there's a better chance that they trade James Harden to make the playoffs, honestly. That offseason is so bad. One of my hot takes is that James Harden is getting traded to Denver. So, that team's going to be so bad. They picked up Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and then someone else, right? Have they, ev- have they ever? Have those two ever been healthy?
0: Okay, so we talk a lot about the Utah Jazz and how they have to score 85, 90 points to actually win a basketball game. Well, the Houston Rockets, they're going to have to hold teams under at least 120 points to win a basketball game. Yeah. Like, you can't score 115 while you're giving up 120. this Don't get me wrong. This team's going to get buckets. In a Mike D'Antoni offense, with James Harden initiating it, you've got Eric Gordon, who, if healthy, can can be a good spot-up shooter. You've got Ryan Anderson, who's one of the best six-man stretch fours in the game. They are, All of those three guys are predicated on the offensive end of the, of the floor. Yep. They don't play defense. They do not have a single defensive bone in their body. They are going to be like those old Denver Nuggets teams of the 80s, the late 80s, where, yeah, they'll put up 130 on a regular basis, but they're probably giving up 145.
1: Yeah, Ryan Anderson was the second worst defensive power forward in the NBA last year. Eric Gordon was the worst defensive shooting guard in the NBA, and he can't guard shooting guards because he's too slow. So the Houston Rockets, if you're, if like, if there's a Vegas standing that thinks they'll make the playoffs, bet against because they're not. That defense is going to be atrociously bad.
0: Going back one final time to the Blazers' schedule, there's one other stretch of the the. I would say stretch of the schedule that really is going to define where this team ends up in the playoffs, maybe just defines their entire playoff fate. It's before that 10 of 12 at home in late March, early April. They have a stretch from March 6th through March 19th where seven of their nine games are on the road. And you've got at Minnesota, which is going to be a tough game, even without Kevin Durant at Oklahoma City. That's never been an easy arena for Portland to win in. Uh, you get a pretty good break when you've got home games back-to-back against the Sixers and the Wizards. Very winnable. Then they go out on a five-game road trip at Phoenix, at New Orleans, at San Antonio, at Atlanta, at Miami. I mean, those teams, they're not going to strike the fear of God in you. Maybe the San Antonio Spurs will, but the Suns have given us hell at in the Valley of the Sun.
1: Yeah, but that was even, when they were healthy, man. You can't, you even, can't predict
0: even, that. Even so, that arena has – it's just – it's a bugaboo arena. Like, we need to prove that we can consistently win there when they are trash and when we are actually good. Uh, at San Antonio, again, it's hard to predict. You don't know who they're going to play. But, again, we still haven't fared well there lately. And same thing with with Atlanta. I can't – I think the last time we won in Atlanta, Travis Alla hit that game winner, stepping up and shooting over Josh Smith.
1: Wow, but that's, that's a very old phrase right
0: there thankfully we we end the trip at miami they don't have any they don't have Dwayne Wade anymore. Chris Bosch may not even play. I do want him to play, but he may not play this season at all um and in Serena, Portland has had success throughout throughout history so again, if they can just maybe go five and four six and three, just keep your head above water don't don't have any holes like you can have leaks here and there, but don't let a lot of water come on board um and just keep making your way from point a to point b. Because once Portland gets, once they hit that that home stretch, immediately afterwards, it starts with Milwaukee on the 21st of March. You've got your 10 of 12 at home. The schedule makers, I think, po- did Portland a big favor. Um, I would much rather have the schedule back-loaded than front-loaded. Mm-hmm. Like, you get the easier, you Absolutely. get the, you know, go through your trials. Like, you want to be hot going into the playoffs. I remember the Hawks what was it, three years ago, maybe two years ago, when they were the Eastern Conference number one seed, they won, like, what, 22 games in a row? That's very impressive.
1: Yeah, they, to that. they happened to beat us.
0: Yeah, oh, they beat us twice during that streak, and they are playing fantastic basketball, but you never want to peak in February mm-hmm. because you you can never reach. Once you peak, you can't go back. There's only, you know, peaks and valleys. Once you hit that peak, you're there. You mm-hmm. want to be peaking in June, mm-hmm. not in February. And whatever reason, they they did it early. So if Portland can just navigate those waters, win the games they're supposed to win, go 500-plus on the road, and just dominate at home. Not not play well at home, dominate. You have one of the best fan bases in the entire NBA. Use it. Mm -hmm. If you protect your home court and you win 35 games at home and you go 500 on the road, I mean, you're looking at 55 wins right there. I mean, that's, that's the formula. You yeah, win 500 on the road, you dominate at home. That's how the teams do it. Like, look at the Spurs. Sometimes, like, over the course of their, their run with, when Duncan started, they just wouldn't lose, like, three or four in a row. They would beat the teams they're supposed to beat, and they would split probably against the the elite teams. And that's, that's what you have to do over the course of 82 games. It's a. But one last, I know I keep saying one last schedule. Topic, Sage, this is where I'm going to throw you that curveball. Top three games you're looking forward to the Blazers play. Go. All right. Shit. This is real time, folks. I told him <laughs> well, while we were, I told him while we were warming up, I'm going to throw you a curveball. You're not going to know when or where. He's like, hey, give me a heads up. No, you've done this to me, <laughs> and I'm throwing it back to you.
1: Well, I, I de- I'm going to talk about ones that I plan to go to. Uh, definitely the February 9th uh, Thursday night game on TNT with the Boston Celtics. I think opening day is pretty huge and then anytime we can play the Spurs we'll be my third.
0: Yeah, you pretty much got mine. Opening night is always going to be number 1. That's mm-hmm. just it's a special atmosphere. It means basketball season is officially back. Preseason and training camp. Yeah, they're nice. Free agency and in, in the draft during the summer, that helps. That's but once yeah. once it's a, it's a it's a great tease, but it's just it's not the the main on, entree. It's yeah. a good appetizer. Doesn't quite fill you up, but it you know, it wets your appetite a bit, it gets you hungry for the main the main course, and that's opening night. And especially against a division rival against the Utah Jazz. That is the one I'm looking for. Um no November oh, excuse me. December twenty third, day before Christmas Eve. Lamarcus comes to San or Lamarcus comes to Portland. I cannot wait for that game. That do you is have going tickets? To, that is a game I do have tickets to. Yes.
1: Uh, I think it's going to be a game for me to just ask if you have tickets to these games. Oh, and,
0: and then it's, oddly enough, the other game I'm super looking forward to is Thursday, October 27th. It's game two. I know it's early game two, but it's the only time the Clippers are coming back to the Rose Garden. And I always love playoff rematches. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's going to be a big year for the Clippers. What are they going to do? This, to me, is the last year of CP, Blake, and DeAndre.
1: Absolutely. It should have been last year, but the injuries kind of gave them that extra buffer year. They're cap-strapped. I I, I don't know how they're going to improve their team from last year or improve their stadium from two years ago. We've seen this. We've seen this for so many years. It's time for the Clippers to try something new.
0: And so... One of the downsides of podcasting in the summer, when you go anywhere between ten to twenty days between podcasts, is you leave off on something on your previous podcast, and then it happens like that the next day. We were talking with Tara from Blazers Edge about why we want Mo Harkless to come back. Sure enough, before our previous episode even was pub- published yeah. to the to the interwebs, Mo Harkless re-upped four years, $40 million with incentives to believe I get up to 44. Every single buddy that was a restricted free agent is back in town. Neil Olshey, you know, standing it, ovation, masterful job this off
1: season. It, it, it definitely took a while for this stuff to happen, but now that it happened, it's, I mean, it, it's a fantastic year. It's a fantastic uh, off season. It, it's it's better than perfectly adequate it's
0: fantastic yeah i mean you look at it from last year we swap brian Ro- we swap shabazz napier for brian roberts uh chris cayman is gone gerald henderson is gone however you add et Bestus and evan turner and i don't think evan turner is getting enough credit for how big of an impact he's gonna make he is a very good basketball player he's not like a superstar or even an all-star but just his skill set i think is going to mesh perfectly with what we need you need ball handlers you need somebody to take the pressure off of Damon CJ when they're getting blitzed on the pick and roll. And it was very important that we brought back Myers, Mo, and AC. You've got your own young assets. Don't let them go for nothing. Uh, we learned that the hard way last offseason, when we just let five of our top six scorers go. It was necessary, but you always still want to get value, whether it's through a trade or a sign-in trade or even bringing them back. Uh, instead of just letting them walk scot-free. Um, kind of we didn't discuss that we were going to talk about this stage, but speaking about Evan Turner and his ball handling, I think it makes more sense to start Alan Crabb at the three and bring E.T. off the bench because then you – Damon C.J., one of those first – I think C.J. always comes out first. That way you can slide Dame to the two and Evan becomes your de facto point guard, and he can play point guard while Damon and C.J. simultaneously get the rest. And AC is also a shooter that will spread the floor. That seems to make a whole lot of sense to me as of, like you said, August 15th. Am I am I crazy? Am I on the right track here?
1: Well, uh, didn't didn't Terry and uh, Neil already say Evan, you're the starter?
0: No, that was. I think that's a false report okay. that came out here.
1: I I get the I can see merits in both. Honestly, to have Evan be the starter or Crab, I think that it should be interchangeable. It really doesn't matter who starts games. It matters who finishes. And Evan Turner definitely has a role as a six man. So I, I, I see merits of both. I just want to see what happens when they are on the court competing. That should be the factor, not you know what we think on August 15th.
0: Of course. Yeah. But I was just thinking of roster balance, skill set balance, being able to have your guys who can score off the dribble and play off the ball with your, your, you know, your superstar backcourt, and then having Chief be your stretch for AC also stretching the defense and then Mason or Festus who are, aren't really going to be offensive threats. So you do have to have some spacing of, of the floor. Um, that's just where I was kind of going with that.
1: Well, we, we, we don't have as many like players that have like that gravitational pull on the court. So m- I maybe have Alan Crabb off the bench to be that second string guy that pulls the defenders their way for spacing driving lanes. I don't know. It, de- there's definitely merits to both.
0: I could even see Mo Harkle starting at the three and then having AC and Evan Turner come off the bench. I know people have said, oh, you can't have that much money off your bench. It doesn't matter whether they're on the bench or they're starting or h- really how many minutes they're playing. Are they contributing in the minutes they're given? Those contracts are already there. Like That's a sunk cost. That's It's gone. Like You can't think of it as mm-hmm. Evan Turner should play because he's making X amount compared to Luis Montero because he's making why amount. If Montero was severely outperforming everybody else, play him. Yeah, that just that means, means the that. other two were bad signings. But you have to play to win. You have to play to your strengths. If starting Harkless is what gets the job done, you start more Harkless And
1: if Neil O'Shea pays Evan Turner $72 million through for the four years or five years, it means that they think so that the guy has some talent. So he's not he's not a bum. He's never a bum. He just Unless, uh, he has... Things that he's very good at and needs to have those things enabled to be a good NBA player.
0: And let's quit acting like any of us knows more about basketball than you will say.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's, it's silly. The dude, if the dude trusts him to give him that much money, obviously a plan. They're not just, it's not just like 2K where you just shovel money at him. He has a plan and if Evan Turner is that guy, I trust him.
0: All right, Sage. It is Olympic season right now. What sports are you watching? If you're watching Olympics at all,
1: I watched Michael Phelps swim, and that's about it. Like, I, I don't know. I the one that I think I could do best at is water polo, but uh, I, I watch that a little bit too. But it's really just all the swimming events, really.
0: See, swimming's not my favorite. I don't know why. It's because they're in the water, and all you see is a bunch of splashing. Um
1: I, I don't mind guys, like, that swimming,
0: by the way. I don't I don't mind the fifty or hundred meter swims So they're only doing one or two laps, but man, when they have to go more than two laps, I, I get kinda of bored.
1: This panda um, loves to swim. This panda loves to swim.
0: To me, this is the Simone Biles Olympics. That girl can fly actually all of Team USA gymnastics, this is their world. We're just living in it in Rio. Those girls are kicking ass and taking names. I've been watching uh, both the men's and the women's Olympics with with Olga. Um, we usually record them fast, watch them the next day, so we can fast fast forward through all the commercials, so we're not spending like four or five hours watching. Just you know, you just NBC. That's a whole other topic. NBC is kind of yeah. I mean, I'm just so tired of NBC's Olympic coverage. Like they're amazing at, at basketball. I want them to come back and take NBA and NBC back. But the way they presented this, it just has not been good. Like they're doing a four hour block every night and they're coming in halfway through matches or they're not showing all of the gymnast gymnasts doing their routines. It doesn't make sense. And I don't like that. I just feel like if it's the Olympics and you're, spon- if you're the main sponsor, you're NBC sports, you should have four or five channels just like dedicated. That's 24 seven Olympics, like ESPN fucking news like put it on there and I would record it and I would be able to watch it because I want to watch water polo. I like water polo. It's one, it's hard to find when it's on. Um, it's never on the prime time, but you know, outside of, uh, the gymnastics and the water polo, my favorite has been, uh, Carrie Walsh, Jennings and April Ross, the two women beach volleyball players who are just, again, they're just, just destroying the shit out of other teams. Like those girls jump high and they hit hard. Uh, Carrie, Carrie Walsh Jennings is going for her fourth straight Olympic gold, which would only rival Lisa Leslie in basketball. I mean, that's just insane. Every four years, like you're saying you're the best in the world at each four year interval. That's hard as hell. So you got to like tip your hat to them outside of the beach volleyball. I love the sprints. I love uh, 400 meters, 100 meters. Usain Bolt is amazing. He just has that extra gear, like just watching him. It's it's I know it's 100 meters, I know it's only a 10 second event, but you're left just speechless and with your jaw wide open the way he can just I mean it's just so speechless. So
1: what, what event do you think you could do the best at?
0: Watching. Yeah. I, I'm not like the best sport I'm at is basketball and I would be the worst Olympian <laughs> of all time playing basketball.
1: <laughs> oh man. So, I can't.
0: I can't really swim. I definitely can't jump yeah. some volleyballs out of there. I'm just an average height. Average, I'm not fast. Fuck, maybe race walking or some shit like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think my best event would be like the water polo or something like that. I'm, it's a rare event when I get in the pool, but I actually can swim really well. So yeah, I think that would be mine. Or basketball, I'd just be awful at it. But like. Oh. I'd be terrible at it. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. But I, w- I would probably, if I couldn't do basketball, um, I don't know. It's it's hard because they're all the Olympians, no matter what sport they do, they are so fucking elite. And it's, I hate when any Olympian really gets like discredited or kind of gets shitted on. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that was a terrible performance who cares they would destroy an average person i saw a tweet come out and they said in 2020 at the tokyo olympics they need to have uh, an elite athlete maybe a gold medalist and they need to show just an average joe doing that same event to kind of put it in perspective (laughs) and to be honest it would because they make it look too easy they make it seem like oh yeah i could go out there and do it no you couldn't go sit your ass down on that couch
1: (laughs) have you watched any basketball fuck no me neither (laughs)
0: <laughs> i mean i think i they played Aus. no it wasn't even australia there was like their second game i think i turned it on and saw a basket and i was like i'm gonna take a nap so i left it on the white nap.
1: I, I watched jokic play like for five seconds other than that i, it, like, like, I don't know
0: we're gonna win olympic basketball is trash i said this before it's, it's just not it's not good I don't like the rules. I don't like the key. I don't like the you can knock the ball off of the, the rim. I think that's Bush League. And also, if Dream on Green wasn't on the team, I probably would have a little more interest. If a Blazer was on a team, like if I if a Blazer was on another country, I would have some sort of...
1: Or someone likable.
0: Yeah, like I just... When I was a kid, and I think it all comes back to being a kid, like I loved the Dream Team, obviously because of Clyde, but I loved the Dream Team. I loved watching the Dream Team too. I lost my shit when Vince Carter dunked over Frederick Weiss in the Sydney Games. I rooted like hell for for LeBron and Marbury and Iverson, but that team imploded in Athens. It was really that redeem team when they kind of got really smug and cocky, like "Oh, we should have won," and like "We're the best." The just typical American smug. And you're Kobe, and fuck Kobe. Um, yeah, I'm a little a little turned up right now. Like this, it's been a while since we podcast, so these these adrenaline juices that they're flowing <laughs> oh, right God. now. Ever since the Redeem team, redeem team, I've just been kind of like, you know, I don't like Team USA. I also don't like how Nike pretty much runs and owns it. In every team picture, they purposely put all other shoe companies in the back. It's like, are you that scared? Like, you're Nike. You're the, you're the top dog. You have no reason to have this little brother syndrome.
1: It's kind of petty.
0: It's, oh my, that's the perfect word. It is so petty. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I have no desire to watch it.
0: Also, three Warriors on the team, plus Harrison Barnes, and it's like, Kevin Durant's still chucking it up like he's up 3-1 in the conference finals, getting ready to choke away another series.
1: Mm.
0: It was, um, I mean, I just, I, I completely lost all respect for Durant, too. I don't like that guy anymore. I mean, he, he again, he had every right to leave Oklahoma City, but I just didn't. I mean, like everybody, he shouldn't have gone to the team that beat him, that had won seventy-three games, that clearly didn't need his help.
1: So I'm just gonna say here on record, when we do our season preview, I refuse to talk about the Warriors for more than a minute.
0: Yep. Who okay. cares?
1: Okay. Well, and that's on record. I don't give a shit about the Warriors.
0: I mean, they're just—they're on par with the Lakers now for me. Like they're that insufferable. Yep. And there's three of them on Team USA, and you want me to watch them and cheer for that team? Nope, got better things to do, like watch water polo. Bye.
1: Is it time for our throwback Thursday?
0: Throwback. I mean, we went way back for this one, Sage, and I love these throwback Thursdays. I love watching the old games. It's before I go into it. So we watched Game Five of the 1977. NBA Finals between uh, the Portland Trail Blazers and the Philadelphia 76ers. This was on June 3rd of 1977. It was at the old Spectrum in Philadelphia. Philly took the first two games 107 101, 107 89. That second game was key. Maurice Lucas got into a fist fight with Daryl Dawkins Beat the after, shit he, out. after he allegedly, or no, he tried to throw an elbow at Bob Gross. Yeah. Um so I mean, you, there's gifts out there for this video. It was, it was an old school like bare knuckle street brawl. Mo was not the enforcer for any reason. Like this dude was legit scary. Do not cross him.
1: Uh Bill Walton on a podcast I listened to said, uh I think game 3 during like the like during warmups. Uh, Mo Lucas ran over to Dawkins and scared the shit out of him and that's why Daryl played like didn't play well the rest of the the uh, the, the finals. Well, Lucas is a bad bad man.
0: Because when watching game 5, the announcer said that Maurice Lucas went over to shake his hand. Oh no. And that's what that's what spooked him because he's like why is this dude shaking my hand?
1: Nah, but, but, but according to Bill on this podcast but, but again, I don't Again,
0: Bill for one, Bill we know smokes a lot of greenery.
1: That doesn't make you make up those type of stories. Those epic stories. This
0: was also almost 40 years to the past. I mean, this, the <laughs> announcers on the show. This was Game Five. So This was what, like two, three days before.
1: And I mean, it is a better story that Mo Lucas tried to knuckle up. But, but I, I'm,
0: I'm not. I'm not saying who's right or who's wrong. Right. I'm just saying that's interesting that there's different stories, and I could see. I could see the announcers presenting their story. I could also see Bill Walton's story being a little bit flaky because. Bill Walton goes on a lot of tangents and goes to a lot of Grateful Dead concerts.
1: I used to hate Bill Walton announcing, but now I fucking love Bill Walton because of, like, reading breaks of the game, watching this game, I'm like, Bill Walton was one of the best centers I've ever seen. But let's actually get into this game.
0: (laughs) So, as we said, Portland was down 0-2. They come back to the Memorial Coliseum and actually destroy the 76ers they beat them by 22 in game three beat them by 32 in game four and if you're philadelphia you have this this team that's supposed to be the nba's best they had not lost two straight games all season long they were like the warriors of last year just they ran through teams um they had trying to look at their their record they were 50 and 32 So they finished first in the Atlantic Division to put that into perspective. Portland was 49 and 33. So, again, pretty similar records, actually. But Philly, they were loaded with star talent. They had Doug Collins. They had Dr. J. They had Daryl Dawkins. I mean, George McGinnis. Henry Bibby. World B-Free off the the bench. (laughs) And I don't think people give Dr. J his due, at least not our era. This dude was MJ before MJ, he was Magic and Bird before Magic and Bird. Like, he was the shit. He was the NBA. Like, he was the the best NBA player at, of his era.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, here you got the Portland Trailblazers who, yeah, you got Bill Walton, but it's Bill Walton, and it's a bunch of puzzle pieces that just fit perfectly. Oh. The harmony with which that team played with, and I picked it up immediately, not even three or four possessions in the game. I'm like, this is going to be a fun-ass game to watch. Mm -hmm. They would get Bill Walton and Mo Lucas, and they would put them in the high post, and they would utilize their amazing skill sets as big men passing the basketball, and they would have Bobby Gross, and they would have Dave Twardzik just cut the shit out of these Philly defenders. I mean, they were doing some fundamental shit, and they were just like clockwork, backdoor, 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 buckets, hand over fist. And you got the Sixers coming down playing more of a modern NBA game, one on three fast break, shoot the ball, you know, one shot or one pass, one shot. You've got the Blazers, on the other hand. I swear, every time that they had the ball, it was like three or four passes before a guy shot the ball. Their motion offense by Dr. Jack Ramsey was poetry to watch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you're looking at a Blazers team. I, I mentioned they scored outside of game. Game two, where they only scored eighty nine points, they put up one hundred and one in Game one, one twenty nine in Game three, one thirty in Game four, and again one hundred and ten in Game five. They also put up one hundred and nine in Game six. You're looking at a team averaging probably one hundred and fifteen points per game with no three point line, and the and those rims weren't friendly either. Like those are you, those are like old busted ass YMCA rims that you go and play, and, and you're bitching and complaining like halfway through the game. Those guys took high-percentage shots, they shared the rock, and when they were open, they made his count.
1: I mean, just seeing Bill Walton pass, it's what basketball is, man. Just seeing him as a center, as the biggest man on the court, throwing perfect interior passes to cutting guards. Perfect timing. It
0: was Bro, amazing. the dude averaged almost 20, 25, <laughs> and 4 for the finals. The Finals, a six-game Finals. He averaged 18.5 points, 19 boards, 5.2 assists, 3.7 blocks in the Finals. This guy, I mean, there's a reason his numbers retired in the Rose Garden. He didn't play a whole lot for the Blazers. Those
1: series re- of dominance, though.
0: There's a reason he was the 1978 MVP after only playing in like 60 games.
1: That damn foot, man
0: like oh. he was that dominant and that good like there's a reason he was a 50 greatest of all time and he didn't really have that long of a career he when he played he was arguably one of the best centers of all time like not top top 10 like we're talking top 5 if he would have had a prolonged career he is easily in that top 5 and
1: i mean just watching him play defense it was perfect
0: he was calling out the instructions on defense he would do a fantastic job. So Bob Gross was given the unenviable task of having to guard Dr. J. Whenever Dr. J caught the ball, Walton knew where to go and where to help, whether it was help towards the middle, help towards the baseline. He swarmed Dr. J. And whenever um, another, def- ball, another sixer got the ball in the post, he was over there just contesting every single shot, blocking it left and right. And what I love about both Bill and and uh, Mo, their outlet passes were crisp, and they had a purpose, and they got that offense running. They rarely ever went – you you rarely ever saw that team, one, take a bad shot or take a shot with under five seconds left on the shot clock, and that's with three or four passes per. Like, it, it was a machine, and I urge all Blazer fans, no matter when you became a fan, whether it was in 1970 at the team's inception or you became a fan after Damian Lillard hit that shot against the Rockets, Go back and watch the 77 team, especially this series against the Sixers. It will give you a great appreciation for the team that brought Portland its only championship. And just to see a way a different game was played. I'll be the first to admit, probably about six or seven years ago, uh, I think these games were on Comcast Sportsnet and I didn't really show too much of an interest. I was like, I didn't get to see that team play growing up. I don't have that connection that I do with Clyde and Terry, um, Rashid and Sabonis and all those, all those older teams. But... More so as I've got older, you cherish that one championship that you've got. I don't care that I wasn't even thought of. I wasn't even. You were like negative part, five, right? Yeah, I wasn't even on this earth. Even thought of in this planet, in yeah. this what galaxy? They're still the trailblazers. I'm still a fan. They still won that title. It means a lot. I've actually, actually, I think what happened is Mario, who who used to play with, gave me a gift play as my Play basketball guest.
1: with. Play basketball. <laughs>
0: My my going away present when I left the Blazers, he found it was a 77, 76, 77 team, and it was numbered to 500. And each one of the players had had signed it in gold and, and I got it framed and I looked at that and I was like, fuck, that is amazing. Having this, I owe it to myself to go back and look at these teams. I owe it to myself to give this team, I owe it to that team to show them more respect. Mm-hmm. Give them their, their, their due as one of the best Blazers teams of all time. And, you know, I've watched a couple of the games. I, we did this throwback Thursday. And I hope we do more because team was fun as hell to watch, Sage.
1: I definitely want to do a TBT of the uh, Game 4 of the Lakers-Blazers-Western Conference Finals with Bill Walton blocks Kareem. Uh,
0: he dunks the shit over Kareem, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I Who is your favorite player I, I, on the 77 team? Or who are your favorites? Oh, okay, I, I, got so a, I got four. I got
0: four. That's a great question because I was thinking of that too. I think obviously Bill Walton probably would have been my favorite because he did. He was a two-way player. I love the blocks. I I love the outlets. The and rebounding in a, too. In a game where there wasn't a lot of highlights, he provided them. He he dunked. He he blocked. Like he played above the rim. They were throwing alley oops to him. Alley-oops in 77 were as normal as they were today. So Walton's up there. You've gotta love Mo. I mean, okay. having that enforcer, that badass on your team. Um, he just took no shit from anybody. I mean, Moe Mo would have been in my top, my top three. Um, probably Dave Twardzik would have been my third. Like uh, I loved
1: right, that guy right. off the bench. <laughs> that's they, my, did, that's my
0: fourth. They um we had a team historian, his name is Chuck. He had been with the team since 1970. So he had been all, he he's, he retired a year or two ago, um, about the time that I left the team. But he had been there since day one. He, him and Sean Lee were, were day ones. And I was doing a best of 32 Blazer bracket. It was during the lockout of the summer of 2011, so we couldn't mention any current players, so we were looking for content. I so remember like, okay, this, actually. I was like, so let's do a tournament. Like, who's the really the best Trailblazer of all time? Um and I obviously had to include Tordzik. His number's retired. And I went to Chuck, and I was like, hey, can you tell me more about this team? And he started talking about Tordzik. He said his nickname was Pinball. Like, he would go this way, that way, ricochet off players, but he would still somehow get it in. And just watching him, he kind of reminded um, his playing style reminded me of, my, of me when I play. When I have a lot of energy, I'm always cutting back and forth, backdoor cuts. I definitely couldn't finish the way he could. But I just loved his basketball IQ. It was through the goddamn roof, and he was—he was the epitome of pinball. Uh, there was a sweet up and under reverse layup he hit in uh, the second half that yeah. I was, just, whoa! Like, and this guy doesn't look—he like he could jump for shit, but he. Uh, I don't he know. He—he looked,
1: he looked like a, a like if you imagine what a '70s dad looks like.
0: He, he's he, '70s dad.
1: Yeah, he's '70s dad. He reminds me of a less douchey JJ Barea.
0: Yeah, he's a little more stockier. Yeah. Av- more, most people are, but yeah, it was a pretty good comparison. And, the, my, and
1: my fourth is gross. That, yeah, gross. The, that passing IQ is special. When you have uh, when, when you have that type of vision, you you were born to play basketball. Because well, you, you look at angles he passed gross. from. and he was the leading scorer of that game.
0: Yeah, he, you got you, you. Look at this dude, and like we said, he's given the job of defending the best player in the world at the, at the time, Dr. J.
1: He was easily the most explosive best player on that game. On that so, in that game.
0: Unfortunately, these box scores and basketball reference only give us free throws and field goals made um, and points. So yes, Dr. J got thirty-seven points. He got
1: buckets. He definitely did, but it was a lot of garbage time. It was a lot of like second half points because in the first. I'd say he might be got like ten or twelve, but the, yeah. he really exploded in the second half.
0: But where Bobby Gross made his money was by forcing Dr. J to exert energy on the defensive end.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he had to chase
0: him, man. He had to chase him around. He had to keep his hands up and be aware of those passing lanes when Bobby Gross had the ball because he was a triple threat. Bobby, before even he, Bobby fouled out, and he was still the leading scorer for the Blazers with twenty five points.
1: I saw there, there was a few plays that really stood out to me. In the, in the fourth quarter, he intercepted an inbound pass. Mm-hmm. And oh, that and was
0: during was like, that big run. Yeah. Oh, God, that was so, so amazing. We had just scored. They were just going to inbound the ball to the right side of the court. He just kind of does his best Kenny Wheaton impression. Kenny Wheaton's going to score, picks it off, sets up Portland for, a, I believe it was an easy layup from Walton or Lucas. And like I said, he had 25 points, and there's still five minutes left to play before he fouled out. He could have easily gotten 30 and came close to matching Dr. J, which is just unreal. But that's just another reason why the Blazers were such a special team that year. They really jumped out on the Sixers. The Philly made it a little bit close. Um, I think they cut it to five or six, but like you said, Portland had that run capped really by that inbound steal, and they pushed it back up to 12-13, and they 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 held them off. Like the final score was 110 to 104 it really didn't feel that close. Like Philly had a couple of times where it felt like the dam could have burst, but there was Portland with just... And it was really Bob Gross. Bob Gross had all of the momentum buckets.
1: Mm-hmm. It's crazy to see. Because in, in, in this NBA that we watch, the big man isn't utilized like Mo Lucas and Bill Wall. Like They ran the offense through those two players. I think Mason
0: Plumley. Times t- 100.
1: 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, man. Like, Bill Walton, uh, the most elite player we've ever had on our in Blazers history. And he, I you're mean, running your offense to a center. Incredible.
0: Like the, the whole team, I think, took from his lead to, like, Walton swarmed, I think, his defenders. And his help side defense was next level. But I felt like the team fed off that, and they also started to swarm the Sixers. I mean, we rattled off all those players from Philadelphia, and they really—it took them a 38-point fourth quarter to get 104 points. Portland was up by 19 after the third. They utilized that amazing 17 to two run that we talked about to really open that game up and, and you know, keep the Sixers at bay to get that commanding three-two series lead. But. And, and the reason Philadelphia came back to is Portland let that pressure Philadelphia applied. They, it got to them in the fourth quarter, but they were able to hold on.
1: There was a few passes where I'm like, oh, no, but if we had it in hand.
0: So, obviously, it was a different game. There was no three-point line. What did you think about that? It was an odd rule. So, the, there's no three-point line. There's no if you get fouled shooting three. There was this. And I don't know if I completely got this right, but it was it happened when Dr. J he got three free throws when yeah, he was those
1: weird free throws fouled
0: in the shooting motion, and Portland was in the penalty, so they got like a bonus free throw. Um, took me a while. I don't think I ever really grasped what no, that was.
1: I, I, I didn't either. I, I noticed that this was a weird anomaly, but I have no idea what the rule is.
0: But what was what was really cool about watching that broadcast? It was an ESPN classic broadcast. And they, had Doc, they had Dick Schaap, uh, holding like an interview with Jack Ramsey during different portions of that game, and it was just amazing to hear his insights. Like he wanted Bill Walton to touch the ball every single time in the half court. Uh, just the knowledge that that guy had—he was—he was the best coach we've had.
1: And I mean, like the 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 chemistry that Bill Walton and Dr. Jack had to just run this offense perfectly, because. Bill Walton was the one talking on defense and offense. He was the one calling the plays, doing the weird hand motions that you'll see him do to call each play. So he was like the quarterback of that team. And usually it's the point guard that's like the general. Yep. In this case, it was Bill Walton, the 7-2 redhead.
0: And, you know, it was a little unfortunate that this team didn't last. Uh, as I mentioned, Walton won the MVP the next year, but Gross had foot problems. Walton had that foot. We were 50-10 and 10 at the 60-game mark of the 78 season. At the time, we were the youngest team to ever win an NBA championship. Um, you look I'm looking at the roster for the 77 team. Walton has two years of experience. Tordzik, four. Lloyd Neal, who was a big, big man off the bench, had four years of experience as well. Moe just had two. Um, Moe was only 25.
1: Yeah, because he had those two years
0: at uh, ABA. Lionel Hollins had one year of experience. Bob Gross had one year. So, Bob Gross was 24 years old. Lionel Hollins was 24 years old. Like, Johnny Davis was a rookie. Johnny Davis was starting for them. Like, Mm -hmm. this team was young. Like, they could have been what the Celtics and the Lakers were of the 80s, what the Bulls were of the 90s, what the Celtics were of the 60s. Mm The 70s and early 80s could have been dominated by the Portland Trailblazers. But... We all know how that story ends.
1: Honestly, I don't think people do.
0: Well, injuries. Injuries injuries. and jealousies. Well, I wouldn't say I I would say contract disputes. I would say jealousies with the coaching staff, with the medical staff. Pretty much, just read the breaks of the game.
1: Fantastic book. You can get it on audible.com. You can use the code holybackboard and get that shit for
0: free. Read it. It is worth it. it. It is a great read. You'll find out what happened. You should know what happens. If you don't, that's okay. It's only August. You got plenty of time to um to read out before the season starts. But you still have to be thankful they got this one because I don't want to be a franchise like the Utah Jazz or Phoenix Suns. Sorry, Espo. That <laughs> don't they don't have that championship banner hanging in their stadium. Like that still means a lot to me.
1: So how I should know this, but how many players of that team have their jersey retired? I know Twardzik and Walton. Bill I'm assume, Walton. I'm assuming Gross.
0: Bill Walton, Dave Twardzik, Larry Steele, Lloyd Neal, Maurice Lucas, Lionel Hollins, and Bob Gross.
1: Damn, that's six retired jerseys, man. Seven. I can't count. <laughs> All right. So the another question I have, because we obviously text while we're watching the games.
0: And randomly, we were both watching this game on a Friday night. I started watching it and you started talking about Bill Walton basketball IQ, Bobby Gross, cutting I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Are you watching this game too? I thought we were going to watch it on Saturday. No.
1: Nope. So We got no life.
0: No, that's a fucking good life. What are you talking about?
1: Oh, fair, fair enough. But which players on that team would you want on this version of the Trailblazers?
0: Obviously, Dollar Bill.
1: God damn, man. Obviously, Mo.
0: Obviously Mo Lucas. If we had those as our post players, we would be the champion. Fuck the Warriors. They wouldn't have anything on us.
1: No way. Like no way that the Warriors could get into the post. Like oh man. Just with they would clean up so many defes- defensive inefficiencies. Like who care like Dame Lillard running a pick and roll with Bill Walton and Mo Lucas? I think the no- I think I would love to have Twarzik as their backup point guard,
0: though. Oh, Twarzik as a backup point guard would be amazing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, man. Uh, that team is special. That that scheme is special. And to see what happens to the team two years later with when they play ISO ball, it's heartbreaking.
0: I mean, you're looking, like I said, the Sixers didn't lose more than two games in a row all season long. Portland... Put them in the ground four straight times. They put them in in the ditch and they buried them and they put the tombstone on them four straight times. That does not happen, especially in the finals. Teams that go down o two in the finals, you can give them a death sentence because it's over. Mm-hmm. They fought back and they want. They, why we chose game five is because it was so pivotal. You don't win game five. Not only are you facing elimination, but then you have to face the fact that one, you have to win two straight games again. And then two, you you'd have to win a game seven on the road, which is Inville. nearly impossible. Yep. Very difficult to do. So they came out and they set the tone, and they took it. They they um they won pretty much. I think it might have been a wire to wire victory.
1: It's a, the doctor though, he, got to give him his props. He, he ate, but he had to work hard to eat.
0: Yeah, I mean. Dr. J, you could tell he was almost playing on a different level. Like he was doing things athletically than nobody else was. Yeah. <laughs> Used and he had fundamentals too. Like he was using the backboard on every like pull-up shot, and he's just so smooth, so 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 graceful. I mean, the guy is just a legend. And he and Walton, they they met at the rim a couple times, and I think they both each won those.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Lorid B Free was off the bench for that team. That is a talented roster. The
0: Blazers got it done, and if you lived under a rock and have no idea, the Blazers won the championship that year. They followed up Game Six with a one hundred and nine, one hundred and seven victory, uh, clinching the town, ta- the team's first NBA championship. It was their first playoff experience to boot, and it still remains the team's only championship. Hopefully, that that statistic doesn't last too much longer. But whenever got one man. At least we got one. So whatever the future holds for the Blazers, we can always go back to that one, and you know, hang your head a little bit, a little bit higher, hold it a little bit higher, wear it proud. Uh, Mitchell Ness has some fire. Seventy-seven championship gear. So even if you're still young like me, thirty-one years old, never saw that team play live, didn't really know about them until the '90s, maybe even the '2000s. Still rock with them, man. The I would, awesome. I
1: would, I would wear a Mo Lucas throwback jersey. They, got them, they no? got them
0: available. They got at the fan shop.
1: Do they really? They do. Well, then one of these days I got to cop one because Mo Lucas would have been my dude. Just the the, the strength, the the the, the unfuck withableness. You can't. Mo Lucas was a bad motherfucker. You
0: know, you know, on the court he was just a beast. Off the court, just a great person, great father, great husband. Genuinely, just. Everyone was loved Mo. Like, he was, uh, came back to be an assistant coach under Nate McMullen's staff. Um, it was tough when we lost Mo, and it was kind of just like that whole... It's been rough losing Blazer Legends. You know, mm. Mo... And Kersey Cursey, and you've got Dr. Jack, and then...
1: Didn't Duckworth
0: D-Duck, have? Duckworth. I mean, you've got all those guys, and Dale Schluter, who was an ambassador, you know, he passed away too. He was on that very first Blazer mm. team. So it's rough Mm -hmm. and don't wait until somebody passes to remember them. Start remembering them now. All right. I think, you know, we came strong. I was a little bit sassy, a little bit saucy, um, pretty fired up, but it was our first podcast in a while. We're going on 75 minutes here. I think we're good. Sage. Um, you know, if if you fuck with this podcast and we hope you do, Give us that five-star rating on iTunes. uh, Subscribe. Uh, If you're not a big fan of iTunes, that's cool, too. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Holy Backboard. Um, That's all Uh, I got, Sage. You got any sponsorships you want to shout us out?
1: I I, I mean, definitely Audible, and thanks to everyone who's listening. I mean, these have been a humongous success for us, so I definitely want to keep doing them throughout the year. Once we get some new YouTubes of these old Blazer games or new Blazer games, I mean, this is definitely going to be part of our repertoire for as long as we do this show. It's always good remembering the legends and the people that have p- paved the way for it.
0: Makes you appreciate the current team that much more, I think, because you look back and you're like, this is what this franchise stands for. Like, This is what where we came from and you're proud to root for guys like dame and cj and and mo and ac and you know all of those guys
1: it's um, like it's like i i think i compare it to hip-hop every single episode but it's like this is like going and reading about cool and bambada if you run did, if you love the if the new era of blazers pay homage to the people that paved the way and made it easier
0: carry on tradition baby Let's go!
1: go.